That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 227. It's titled, How to Teach Your Children About Money. This past week, I got an email from Warren. He writes, I only recently discovered your podcast and I enjoy it. So I went right back to the beginning and listened to every one of them. It took a while. Anyway, even though I could continue to listen to the weekly broadcast for free, I thought it was something worth paying for. Hence, I became a paid up member, a plus member. I'm 48, got a late start with family life with two young children, eight and five. My wife died four years ago, so that has made for a few life changes. I'm somewhat lucky in that my sister was made redundant from her job working in childcare not long after my wife died, so that now she now plays a big role in looking after my children. I work for myself, by myself, in a niche metalworking business. The business is going pretty well, at least for now, so I'm trying hard to get things organized financially, taking advantage of the good times in the business right now. With young children, I doubt I will be taking early retirement. I don't think I would anyway. I enjoy my work, finding, finding, find it financially rewarding as well as emotionally rewarding and relaxing. Well, most of the time, at least. Perhaps you could consider a podcast about helping to get children started on a healthy financial life. What guidance do you think parents should be giving to their children? What did you do with your children? Did you sit down with them and try to explain about saving for the future or just hope they could learn from your cues and wait for them to ask you questions. I would be interested in your views, especially now that your children are young adults. Did your approach work? I had to give that some thought. And I asked my children. I have two sons and a daughter. I, I only heard back from my two sons so far, and it's time to record. So if my daughter says something meaningfully different... I'll make sure I'll cover that in this week's Plus episode. I broke it down in terms of what I think we should teach our children. And I didn't, and both my sons mentioned, I didn't have a lot of formal discussions. My one son wrote me, I don't ever remember ever having any significant conversations where you taught me about finances. I think it was much more about example. And there's really four main things that my children learned about money from Lapril and I. And I don't I don't even know if, if it was like we set out to teach this. And that's why there's not a right answer. As you know, being a parent, it's very personalized. And you're sort of flying blind doing your best. And when it comes to money, it very much depends 
on our experience. What was our money journey? Your money journey growing up. There's an Italian writer, Natalia Ginsburg. She wrote 11 essays between 1944 and 1960, and they're collected in a little volume called The Little Virtues. She writes, being moderate with oneself and generous with others, this is what is meant by having a just relationship with money, by being free as far as money is concerned. And there is no doubt that it is less difficult to educate a child so that he has such a sense of proportion, such a freedom in a family in which money is earned and immediately spent, in which it flows like clear spring water and practically does not exist as money. This gets to the first point, that the attitude that we have about money tends to be conveyed to our children. Natalia goes on. Things become complicated where money exists and exists heavily, where it is a leaden, stagnant pool that stinks and gives off vapors. The children are soon aware of the presence of this money in the family, this hidden power, which no one ever mentions openly, but to which the parents refer by means of complicated and mysterious names, when they are talking among themselves with a leaden stillness in their eyes and a bitter curl to their lips. Money which is not simply kept in a desk drawer, but which accumulates who knows where, and which can at any moment be sucked back into the earth, disappearing forever and swallowing up both house and family. The first thing, I think, is the attitude toward money. I, I love that analogy, how money flows like a clear spring water. And my, my two sons talked about the attitude that they picked up. Well, here's how one put it. I think one of the best things you taught us was that money wasn't everything. Perhaps this was simply that we were fortunate enough to, to not have to worry too much about money. But I think it was more than that. I think the fact that you didn't ever put money at the top or be ashamed about talking about money or put undue good or bad pressure on it was very beneficial for me. It has really helped me to make sure that I prioritize other things besides money. I can always get more money, but I can't get more time in my life. I grew up in a household where we didn't have much money. My father was an alcoholic. My parents got divorced when I was eight or nine. My mom was a single parent trying to raise money, earn money any way she could. She sold Tupperware, sold real estate for a while. She made dolls. But I don't remember money being... I knew we were poor, but it wasn't this huge stress. It was the idea that we would be all right, that money would flow in. And I distinctly remember people helping us. I remember the time that a Catholic charity came and brought us food. The time that our car broke and our neighbor let us use their, their old station wagon for weeks. 
Remember having food stamps, having welfare. We didn't have money, but it wasn't this huge stress all the time. The only only one time I remember when my dad didn't pay some child support and there wasn't enough money to pay tuition so I could attend the private Catholic elementary school I was going to. Then I felt scared, really, because I didn't want to go to the public school. But other than that, and, and he, he got the money and I was able to keep going to the parish school for another year. But it's this idea that it's just money. And I talked about that some in episode 134, but don't put so much weight on it. And I think the attitude we have toward money, and it's easier when you have money. But we had that, that attitude when I didn't have money growing up. That things would be okay and that there are things in life way more important than money. The second thing is accountability and choice. My, my sons pointed out that when they earned money, they knew it was their money. It wasn't, they, if they wanted to waste it, they could. We, we weren't, my sons mentioned that you know, some parents like to micromanage their kids' money. Well, if you earn some money, you have to put X percent into savings for college and, and X percent. Our attitude was, you've earned the money. You, and we obviously emphasize the importance of savings, but you choose. My one son wrote, you never judged me about what I wanted to buy which was always really nice. I remember once when I was six or seven, I really wanted this gummy watch at Albertson, so I saved up for a while to get it. When I had the money, you and I went to the store, and I decided to get something else. I remember you asking me if I was sure, and I said yes. And as far as I remember, that was the end of it. You didn't doubt my financial choice. Natalia Ginsburg writes, The true defense against wealth is not a fear of wealth, of its fragility. The true defense against wealth is an indifference to money. There is no better way to teach a child this indifference than to give him money to spend when there is money because then he will learn to part with it without worrying about it or regretting it. But it will, it will be said, then the child will be used to having money and will not be able to do without it. If tomorrow he is not rich, what is he to do? But it is easier not to have money once we have learned to spend it, once we have learned how quickly it runs through our hands, and it is easier to learn to do without money when we are thoroughly familiar with it than when we have paid it the homage of our reverence and fear throughout our childhood. Then when we have sensed its presence all around us and, and not been allowed to raise our eyes and look it in the face. And our children, we, we paid them an allowance to some extent, but it wasn't really tied to chores. It was just, here's some of the family money. Spend it wisely, but make your own choice. And if they would ask for something, my one son mentioned that we would always gave them money for books, but not for video games or, or for things like that. They would get gifts at Christmas, but there wasn't, couldn't just give, get anything you wanted. You had to save up for it and, and 
during the summer, if there's something somebody really wanted, then they, they could do some extra work and save up that way, which is, which is sort of the third thing. The money is tied to work. Our oldest son wanted a paper route. At, he was three and a half or four, and he, maybe I told him I had a paper route growing up, but he wanted this paper route, so he got him a paper route. And he learned he could get a higher tip if he made sure he put the paper right in front of the door. And, and so they learned that there was a connection between work and money. My one son wrote, I also think just hearing stories of you earning money as a kid just helped me realize how fortunate I was and how hard you worked to get where you were. You've always been a hard worker, even as your childhood stories showed it. And that stuck out to me. But he goes on, I like that you never forced us to get a job to support ourselves. You provided for our needs and even more than that. But, but. Then for anything really extra, I sort of just knew that I should help pay for it or pay for it all by myself. I think this helped me have a positive attitude toward work. So we provided things for them and we didn't tie money that you needed to to support the family. And, And our kids recognized that that was a privilege. There are some families that... Everyone has to work. There was a time when I was growing up where, you know, my responsibility was to make enough money to pay the water bill. Otherwise, the water would be cut off. So there's there's kind of that balance between you work and you get money for it, but the family money are, well, here's how Natalie, Natalia Ginsburg puts it. When we elevate money into a prize, a goal an object to be striven for, we give it a position, an importance, a nobility, which should not, which it should not have in our children's eyes. We implicitly affirm the principle, a false one, that money is the crowning reward for work, its ultimate objective. Money should be thought of as a wage for work, not its ultimate objective, but its wage, that is, its legitimate recognition. And it is clear that scholastic work of children cannot have a wage. It is a small mistake, but a mistake to offer children money in return for domestic services, for doing little chores. It is a mistake because we are not our children's employers. The family's money is as much theirs as it is ours. Those little services and chores should be done without reward, as a voluntary sharing in the family's life. And that's an interesting attitude and not, we kind of went, we kind of waffled back and forth on that. But generally, it was the family's money. And if our children asked for something, if it was within, within reason, we would give it to them. If it was something bigger, they had to do additional work for it. We didn't require them to work while they were in school. Our, our attitude was... School is sort of your work. And, you know, I would joke with them and offer them a nickel for every A. But generally speaking, that their job was to learn and to find joy in learning, which is why we would willingly buy them books whenever they wanted something. 
On another occasion, we, our son was raising money for school. And he liked to bake pies. So he baked pies to sell. But what was interesting is we, we just, he worked, he did the work, we bought the ingredients. But we didn't deduct the cost of the ingredients. So we sold them for $10. He got $10. And he thought it was a little strange as, as he thought about it later. He questioned, well, am I really earning this if my parents are covering the cost of it? Did he really learn? He wondered industry. He learned how to make pies and to sell them, but sometimes you don't necessarily teach what you're trying to teach because we probably should have deducted the, the amount from the pies or the inventory cost. Later, when he was 17 or 18, he, he said he remembers it was easier to ask for money. Because our kids weren't always, they just didn't ask for money. They kind of, as my once had said, my younger son, that kind of knew we had to, if it was something big, we had to earn it. But as my son got to be 17 or 18, sometimes he would ask for money, for gas, or for something like that. And there was a part of them that, that liked that, but there was a part of him that kind of knew he should be earning that money, that he should be engaged, as he put it, in some industry, that it needed to be more purposeful, that, you, that money was tied to effort and work. And while it's nice to receive it, especially when you're in need, at some point you have to earn it. Before I share more principles on how to teach children about money, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one program and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. With everything getting more expensive these days, it's wise to find ways to cut costs and boost performance at the same time. You can do that with NetSuite. And by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com slash david. netsuite.com slash david. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 
Let's summarize so far the three principles that we hope that we convey to our children about money that I think all children should learn is first, a proper attitude, an indifference toward money, to not overly stress about it, that it's okay to talk about it, that money flows, that we receive it, and that we give it away. The second is accountability and choice, that it is, we, we should receive money when we have money. We can choose what to do with that money and hopefully use it in a responsible way. Third is that money's tied to work. It's tied to our efforts, that that's how we earn money. It's not the most important reason we work, but it is one of the benefits of work and it should be tied to work. The fourth then thing then is to avoid debt. I remember being nine years old and in debt. Maybe I was 10. I was really young. And I saw an ad in the newspaper that I could get four records from the Columbia Record Club. I sent in my quarter, nick I don't know what it was. It wasn't very much money, but I got my six records. But I wasn't really good at sending back the monthly little coupon that you had to send back. Otherwise, they would send you the, the double record of Kiss or Seals and Croft, musicians that I didn't really want. But then, as a nine-year-old, what am I going to do? I, now they sent it to me. And I didn't know enough how to send it back. So I started accruing these debts to the Columbia Record Company because they would send me records because I forgot to send back the coupon saying, don't send me that month's special. Didn't like that feeling. My son, was, when he was in the seventh grade, really wanted an iPod mini. He earned money mowing the lawn, but they were going on a school trip, and he really wanted to take that iPod with him. So I lent him the money. No interest. He was able to buy the iPod, but he said it felt like forever to pay it off because there was no longer that anticipation. He was doing work, but the money was going right back to me to pay for his debt. He just didn't find that very satisfying. And he realized he just didn't like debt. He wanted to avoid debt. And he shouldn't use it on trivial things because part of the fun of saving up is the anticipation of getting that item. But if you get the item first, and then you have to pay for it, then it becomes a task. And he, and so he just didn't like debt. My other son wrote, I remember the conversation when you announced that you were debt-free. Everything was paid off. It was obviously impactful to me because I remember it. And also that I've been debt-free. The fifth and final principle when it comes to teaching children about money is really just-in-time learning. In the sense that when kids want to know something, they want to know it now and they'll ask. So we didn't give our children formal lessons, money lessons. But as things came up, we would teach them. My oldest son got a job washing dishes at a pizza parlor. He was 14. 
didn't work a whole lot, work a whole lot, maybe two four-hour shifts a week. And around April, his friends started talking about tax returns and how you could get money back from the government. So my son came to me. I was probably up in my home office working and asked me if I would teach him about how to fill out a tax return. And this is probably where I fell short a little bit. I told him, no, but I would give him $50 and we would call it even. In the sense that I probably he probably didn't make enough money to get a tax return. But I gave him a tax return. I just gave him the money and we didn't fill it out. It was a year or so later that I actually taught him how to do that. So that, that was one uh, sort of a failed just-in-time learning attempt. But there was another, my younger son, we were in California. I wanted to go to Legoland. And I would typically take my kids on a trip by themselves about once per year, once, once each year, each of them. And we found a cell phone on the beach. And he remembers that we, we went to, to some effort to return that cell phone to its owner. And he said in his small brain, it, it, in his mind, it made total sense to keep it. We found it, but we gave it back. And we, we found the owner and we were able to give it back. There were times when our kids needed a correction. The youngest mentioned that he was probably seven or eight, and he he started asking his, his friends how much their parents spent on them for Christmas. And my son says, Mother shut that down pretty quickly. And he learned that you have to be prudent in discussing finance. Aprel would tell her kids, because they would ask and would say, yeah, we we have a lot of money, but don't really share that with other people because we've always tried to live well below our means and, and not in any way try to, to, to flaunt wealth. Not that we're even necessarily that wealthy. One exception would be the the BMW I drive, which I talked about in episode 146, and sort of the embarrassing experience with that. I'll let you listen to that episode. But that's episode 227, how to teach your children about money. And I reckon I don't have all the answers. We did the best we can. You kind of have to take your family culture, what you're comfortable with, take your money journey, but those are the five things that I, I think are important to have the right attitude that money is just money, that to have an indifference toward money. Let it flow. Give it away. To be accountable for it and to, to teach your children that they can choose to not micromanage their finances. Let them learn to make money mistakes. Let them learn that money is tied to to work. That if you need extra money, that you have to work for it. Yes, there's family money. You participate in that. But ultimately, to become independent, you have to, you have to work for it. And my one son talked about just, he was nervous. How do you get to be where you're independent? There's a transition there to where they, as young adults, they take over more and more of their expenses. 
maybe help out some, but eventually they learned and they desire to be independent and not just take money from their parents. And, and you know, two of our three children at this point are, are completely independent, except for the group cell phone plan, which in case, 10 bucks a month. The fourth thing then is to avoid debt and, and to teach your, your, your children somehow. In our case, I learned to avoid debt because they, they were in debt to us because they wanted something before they had the money for it. And then they, they felt that feeling of how bad it felt to be in debt. Now, not all debt's bad. We've done episodes on you know, when is debt more of an investment, particularly in your human capital education versus debt that is essentially accelerating a consumer good purchase into the present and how you ultimately that, that has to be paid off. And fine. Five just-in-time learning. Be there when your kids have questions, when they've asked about investing and they're ready, then we've taught them. But I have found children, when they want to learn something, they'll ask you and be willing to have those conversations and, and put stuff down and teach them, unlike I did with my son's tax return and just gave him the tax return money. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, please sign up for my free weekly insider's guide. It's free email where I'll share that week's notes. I share an essay or other learnings, experiences that I'm having, things that I'm seeing in the news that I think will be helpful to you in terms of investing in the economy. It just goes to that email list. You can sign up for that at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk situation. I'm not provided investment advice, simply general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.